How great is his love for us. Man, what a wonderful song. What a wonderful way to worship this morning. You know, um, I want to share a couple of things with you. Um, Kyle and Macy. Uh, Kyle, I'm just wave your hand there, Macy. Um, everybody knows who they are, but um, they've been serving our church body uh, by leading our worship times over the past three years and uh, leading us in worship and they've done an outstanding job of stepping up and, and helping us and leading us in that. Um, you know, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they have shown us a whole lot about what true worship is and how to worship in spirit and in truth and what that looks like, but also how every one of us can participate in worship. I tell you, when you hear the congregation singing, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing just to hear everyone singing together. You know, they've served Memorial diligently. They've been consistent. They've been faithful. And, um, you know, for a good deal of that time, uh, they received no monetary compensation. Um, I would say to you this morning that they deserve uh, our deepest gratitude and appreciation as well as any commendations that we could give them. You see, they, they've recognized for a while now that God is, is moving them to step back from worship leadership in our church, from leading it week to week, and um, sensing that we need someone to be leading from that area in, in a full-time capacity. And, um, you know, I think it was uh, maybe after the first this, this year that they approached me about that and said, you know, we really do feel like we need to step down and, and we'll still be a part of the ministry. We just don't feel like God is sensing uh, us to continue leading that. So for the past three years, we've also been praying about and seeking God on what he would have us do with this concerning our worship leadership and uh, not wanting to run ahead of God. Uh, but waiting on a green light from Him and waiting on His timing and allowing God to send us who He desires us to have and what is best for our needs. You know, the itch is, is when there's a vacancy to go fill it. We're very thankful, I'm very thankful, for Macy and Kyle stepping up and saying, hey, we will, we will do this in God's timing for God's timing. And... Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do. But I want to introduce you this morning to a fellow by the name of Dallas Holston. And um, Dallas and Caitlin Holston, some of you may remember them. Um, he has been here before. He's led worship a couple of times on Sunday morning for us uh, over a D-Now uh, weekend uh, in 2017 and also in 2019. But since August of this year, We've been praying, I've been praying with Dallas and Caitlin about God's will and the direction that, that God is, is moving them in. And more recently, we've been having conversations about him coming and serving as our, our worship uh, leader here, our worship pastor. And um, he's been serving in Victory Life Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas for the past several years. He's a talented musician. He's a wonderfully gifted worship leader, and he's committed to leading God's people through the worship ministry. Uh, he's also very capable with sound and, and video and video editing. 
And we believe that Dallas will, be, uh, will help us to excel in all of these areas of ministry uh, as we look to the future. He'll be a vital part of our ministerial staff. And, you know, with the consensus of our personnel committee and the, uh, our, of our staff and also our church leadership, we are considering Dallas for our full-time worship pastor staff position. Dallas and his wife, Caitlin, they're going to be here next Sunday morning. They're going to be, he, he will be leading in worship, and uh, he will be in view of a call uh, to ministry for Memorial. So we will have a special call business meeting uh, following up our worship next Sunday. Um, but Dallas is a humble servant leader and uh, an excellent choice to guide our worship ministry. And I want you to know that I fully recommend Dallas to you and to our church. And I believe that this is God's will for our church at this time. What a beautiful thing it is when we see God working out things for our behalf and for our benefit. And um, just continue to be praying for, for Dallas, continue to be praying for our church. But I know that God has some wonderful plans for Memorial this coming year. I see God moving and working in your lives and in mine to see what God is going to do right here in this place. And so I, I ask you to be in prayer for that. And I'm going to ask if you would just pray with me now uh, for this time. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for how you guide us. Father, we are, have been and are seeking your will. So I ask, Father, that you would confirm in our heart uh, what your will is, uh, not only concerning Dallas and, and Caitlin, but also, Father, for our church. Father, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. And we need you. We desperately need you in our church. We need you in our lives. We need you in our homes. We need you in our nation. So, Father, I pray that even now that you would just guide our hearts. And, Father, that you would show yourself mighty. We see you at work all around us. And we recognize your hands, Father, at working in people's lives. And, Father, I just ask that you would continue to show yourself mighty. And, Father, we are going to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for all the things that you do in and through our church body. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for bringing light to us in this darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I remember studying theology in seminary and um, really specifically reading the Bible as a narrative, as a story. You know, it's God's story and it, it's, it's all about Him. And looking at the big story that's surrounded by all these clusters, if you will, of smaller stories, and they all point back to the big story. And, and I, I love that. And the stories of the Bible, they were, they were told orally. They were passed down through people for many generations. And they, you know, long before it was ever written down. I mean, not many people could read or write, and so they would tell the stories 
They would tell the stories of creation. They would tell the stories of Adam and Eve. They would, they would tell the stories about the garden and the flood. And they shared those within their family units. And they, they kept sharing about what God's story was. And years and years later, someone wrote them down and, and we have them now. But the, but the biblical record that we have was a story that was told. See, one of the great tasks of the church today is to tell the story. It's to tell the story. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. You see, that's the task of the church is to continue telling the story. Telling about God and how He loved humanity. Telling about how He sent His Son to this earth to tell the story. And this morning I want to share with you Zechariah's story. The story of Zechariah. You know, the Bible, God's Word is living and active. And I'm amazed at how the Gospel speaks to us through the birth narratives and I'm also amazed at how a great number of those stories are around the birth. They cluster around the great day of the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem. And there's all these different stories that all go together and they tell the big story. And so just keep that in mind. And, you know, we've heard stories at Christmas time about angels. We've heard stories about wise men. We've heard stories about kings and, and, and young mothers and troubled fathers. And this morning, I want to share with you, uh, over the next few weeks, I want to start this morning, but the next several weeks, or four weeks, I want to share stories with you about people whose lives were changed, were transformed because of that first Christmas. I think this is huge because here's Zechariah's story, and we find it in Luke chapter 1. And if you have your scripture and you want to open up to that, Luke chapter 1. Beginning in, in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So the first person that Luke brings to the forefront was Zechariah. Now Zechariah was probably close to 50 years old when we're introduced to him, maybe a little older. You know, I just turned 56 this past week, so he may have been about my age. You know, it's an amazing thing when we see God at work and, and we recognize that he was, he was a priest. He was someone who was serving the Lord. And you know, sometimes good men are known because of their great wife. You know, we think about Zechariah and he was a priest in Israel. But he really stands out because of who his wife is. His wife is Elizabeth. He had a wife named Elizabeth. And very early in the story, we're told that Zechariah was a priest, but we're also told that Zechariah and Elizabeth 
were good people. That's what it says there in verse 6. It says, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That's quite a statement. That's quite a statement about a couple. They were righteous in the sight of the Lord. They walked blamelessly. And they, they, they did all of the commandments. And, and, and no one could find fault with them. They were good people. They did what they were supposed to do. But their problem, their challenge, was that they had no child. Because in verse 7 it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. See, we need to understand, and I want to back up for just a moment. They had no child, but these were God-fearing people. They believed God. They took Him at His word. They followed His commandments. They did what they were supposed to do according to God's word. And, and when, we, when it says that they were both righteous in the sight of God, that is a huge statement. We need to understand that. They were righteous in the sight of God. They were God-fearing people. But they couldn't have any children. This was a serious problem in ancient Israel because the ancient Jews believed that if you had no children, that you were cursed of God. That somehow God had cursed you. And really a childless marriage was one of the reasons given for divorce. But understand as this story unfolds, Zechariah was one priest. He was one priest of about two, excuse me, 20,000 priests in the land of Israel. So he is one among 20,000. And I, I recognize that, that this is special because these priests did not serve all year long. They served in the temple for one week, twice a year. One week, twice a year, they served as a priest in the temple. Except for the special holy days. They only served this one week, twice a year. But every priest looked forward to serving Twice a year. Now it says here in verse 9, it says that according to the custom of the priestly office, he, Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It says that he was chosen to go and burn incense. And this was a, a high and great privilege for a priest, a priest could live his entire life and never be chosen for this honor to go into the temple and to burn incense, to light the incense on the altar. But understand that as, as Zachariah served, conscious of what an honor it was to burn the incense, he was moved to prayer. He was moved to prayer. He you know, like us, he prayed for those things that were closest to his heart. I think about this 
couple. They've been married for probably quite some time. Never been able to have children. And, and knowing the, the, the public scorn, if you will, that people look down on them as if they were cursed from God, that somehow there was, there was nothing there and, and they lived righteously and they were blamelessly walking before the Lord. They were doing everything right that they knew to do. And Zacharias, as he's in there burning the incense, he prayed for Elizabeth who wanted a child she could never have. And he, he prayed for himself. He prayed for their marriage and he prayed for all the grief that went with their barrenness. And as Zacharias served, and as he prayed, an angel appeared and told him, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. And Zechariah, who believed in prayer, he thought he was hearing things. I mean, can you imagine that? Here I am in middle age with a wife who's nearly too old to have children, and we're going to have a baby. But the angel continued. He said, this will be a special child. And many people will find the way because of him. Look at verse 15. It says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know what? Zechariah didn't know what to think. He was like, oh my gosh. But we do know this, that he was so struck that he was struck completely mute that he was not able to say a word until the baby came. From the whole time of her pregnancy, he couldn't say another word. The angel of the Lord made it where he could not say another word. And so as it was foretold, Elizabeth became pregnant. Oh, what joy. On that day when she told Zechariah, he couldn't even speak. Honey, I'm pregnant. Oh, they had waited so long. And I'm sure that she experienced some of the same type of physical and emotional responses to pregnancy that women experience today. The excitement, the, the joy, the anticipation, the nausea, maybe cravings for particular foods. You know, it'd be just like a guy to time lapse and to fast forward through the pregnancy. I don't want to take you day by day through that. But what happened was in due time, she gave birth. Look at verse 57 and 58. It says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. So there's a time frame of, you know, nine months in here. 
or, or a little longer, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. Oh, what joy. The baby came. The baby was here. Finally, the baby was born and everyone was happy. And, and the births are, are always very special occasions. They rejoiced and celebrated the birth of this child. But no one was happier than Elizabeth and Zechariah. Luke tells us in verse 59, it says, And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. So they took the baby to the temple for, for the dedication, the circumcision on the eighth day, and the priest said, we're going to call him Zechariah. And Elizabeth firmly said, no, his name is John. I'm sure everyone in the temple was kind of surprised because baby boys were supposed to be named after their fathers or after their grandfather. So the priest took, looked at Elizabeth and saw that she was determined about the boy's name. And since Zechariah could not speak, it says in verse 63 that he took a tablet and he wrote down, his name is John. His name is John. See, Luke tells us that, that once Zacharias' voice came back and he began to speak and maybe even to sing a doxology, a, a praise to Almighty God, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I want to read it. It's verse 67 and following. It says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued out of the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Wow. I can almost see Elizabeth as she scoops up young John in her arms and holds her head up high, marching out of the temple with her baby in her arms. 
no longer looked on with ridicule or scorn or, or the curse of God upon her, but now recognized as someone who has given birth to, to someone important, to someone who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Oh, how Zechariah prophesied here, this baby, this John the Baptist, the cousin, if you will, of the Lord Jesus would one day be the voice in the wilderness. Like Isaiah had written about many, many years before. He would prepare the way. He would influence many with his words. And even after Jesus was known to be the son of God and, and John had already been killed later on, he still had followers because of the words that God had given him to give to them. So as I read this story, I, I ask the question, what does this story tell us about our own story? Where we find ourselves today, how are we connected in all of this? I would say to you this morning that God really does come to the faithful. God really does come to the faithful. Both Elizabeth and Zechariah were God-fearing people and they lived as best as they could. They did what they knew they were supposed to do according to God's Word. I would say also that God really does come to His children. I mean, look closely. Zechariah and Elizabeth were just as human as the rest of us. They were just human, just like we are. And I'm sure they had their, their tussles and their spats together being married. They were, you know, I'm sure everything wasn't all hunky-dory in paradise. There were days, I'm sure, where Elizabeth maybe didn't even want to get out of bed. The heartbreak for them of not having children was very real to them both. You know, this time of year, we sing, O come, all ye faithful. And what it means is that God, despite our meanness, despite our sinning, despite our littleness, and all of the things that we're ashamed of, that He comes to us just like he came to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He comes and he comforts us and he speaks to us and he guides us. And despite it all, we really do adore him. And we really do want to let him change our hearts and our lives. I would say secondly, as I read this passage, how does it connect to us? That God really does listen to His children. I mean, Zechariah was pouring out his heart. It said that God answered his petition. That God responded to him as he was serving. Maybe that's where we fall short. Maybe we're not serving like we could. 
Maybe we're somehow indignant about that and don't want to do that. But brothers and sisters, it is in the serving that God blesses us. You see, it was while he was serving in the temple. I mean, the great grief that this couple was that this couple had no children. And this story assures us that God deals with our griefs just like he dealt with theirs. Their grief was childlessness. And to their barrenness, new life came. This means, this story means that he comes to our barrenness as well. Maybe we haven't borne any fruit in a while. He brings new life to that. He brings new life to our hopelessness as well. I mean, years before Isaiah had prophesied, he said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Brothers and sisters, that is the Advent story. That's the story about Jesus coming to earth. It's our story. It's their story. There is one who comes to us where we are in what we are facing. I mean, the Apostle Paul's right. He said there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. He comes to us in our moment of need. He comes to us when things aren't perfect. He comes to us in our barrenness and in our hopelessness. He comes to us in our darkness when we don't see the light. That's why Jesus came. See, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not a barren womb. Not a divorce. Not a grief, grief that, that keeps us wondering if we can make it in the, through in the weeks to come. Not even cancer. or Whatever we bring to the altar that harms us or disturbs us. You see, He, he meets us there. We bring that. And the love of God cannot separate us. It, it will not separate us. None of those things will separate us from the love of God. He listens to us too. And lastly, I would say this. The way of peace will come. That's what Zechariah said. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, the story didn't end as they thought it might. The boy John was always a little strange. He wasn't a perfect child. You know, maybe some blamed his behavior on being raised by older parents. I don't know. Maybe they spoiled him too much. You know, John kind of kept to himself. He loved nature. He wore strange clothing. And even when he got older, he didn't drink. He ate natural food. And he was a preparer. But understand this. People listened to John. And their lives were changed. Their lives were changed forever. Because they listened to John. What's my point here? 
My point is this, that peace comes. Peace does indeed come, but not always like we expect it to. It may look different than we think. It's not like a a happy ending to a movie where the hero rides off in the sunset singing, you know, I'm back in the saddle again. It's not like that. Peace does come, but it looks differently than the way we picture it in our mind. It doesn't happen. Just like we think it might. But even right where they were, Zechariah and Elizabeth discovered the Old Testament prophecy coming true. With which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, people still need light today. They still need light today. They still need the sunlight to shine upon them. They still need the light of the world to shine upon them. You know, some people are afraid of the shadow of death. We see it before us all the time. In the news media, wherever we get our news from, we see this threat of death. And some people are afraid of death. Some of us are prone to wander. We have feet that, that, that lead us down paths that, and, and take us astray. But here it is that we discover that God came to men and women like us. And because He came to them, their life was different. And because He comes to us, our life is different. It's not easy, but it's different and it's special. Peace comes to us even here, even now. Even in the mess that we're in. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him. Will not perish. But will have everlasting life. So even in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of the commercialized season. We pause And we do the simplest things, wonderful things. We tell stories, stories about people like Zachariah. We sing songs. We light candles. We give back to the Lord. See, we praise God for the gift of his son, Jesus, who is the light. Of the world. He is the way. Of peace. Let's pray. Loving father. I thank you for this time. And father I thank you that. That you hear our prayers. Father I can't count. How many prayers. I have seen answered. Just in the past week. But God you are the one. Who takes up our cause. Father you are the one that comes to us. 
You come crashing in right where we're at to redeem us and to save us from the mess that we're in. Father, sometimes that's self-inflicted. Sometimes we've done it to ourselves. Other times, Father, it's the world that we live in. It's the taint of sin upon us. It's that stain. Father, it's our nature that is bent towards away from going away from You. But Father, in our mess, You come to us. You reach out and You save us and You lift us out of that slimy, miry pit and You put our feet upon the rock. Father, You cleanse us. You wash us clean by the blood of Your Son, Jesus. In that and because of that, because we have peace with You, God, then we can know Your peace within us, the peace of God. So Father, I pray that today that You would guide us in the way of peace. Father, first and foremost in our relationship with You. And Father, once we have peace with You, I pray that we would have peace in the other relationships that are in our lives. Father, with our, our spouses, with our siblings, with our children, Father, with our parents, with whoever it may be, our co-workers. But God, that we would walk in the way of peace. Father, that You would unite us in Your Son, Jesus. Father, I want to thank You for coming to us, for hearing our prayers. Father, for giving us Your Son, Jesus. I pray that as we move towards a time of intimacy, a time of response, Father, like Zechariah going into the temple and offering incense, I pray, Father, that today we would offer our prayers to You. And that, God, You would hear our petitions. Those things that are closest to our hearts. Father, that this time would be used for connecting with You. Lord, we love You and we praise You and we thank You. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us in your truth. Father, may we live righteous and blameless lives in the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.